How's it going? And welcome to episode 150 of On The Wire. Proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at On The Wire Pod. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. And Kevin Hastings is at Hasting Kevin on the Twitter. We are 150 episodes in. I mean, I don't think that I wrote this outline and I wrote that number a couple times on this outline. I don't think it's clicked until I just said the words out loud. Um, 150 seems like a, maybe a made up milestone, but a milestone nonetheless. Uh, how are you feeling after 150 of these things? Uh, same, Adam. I hadn't realized it until I just heard you say yeah. it. And yeah, that's that. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing before you started talking about it. I was like, oh, wow, here we are. Uh, I, we, we made kind of a, a deal about 100 uh, last year, and we recorded live from PitchCon. And PitchCon, this time of year, it makes sense that we're about 50 episodes later uh, doing an episode a week. This is awesome, man. I can't believe it. Starting our fourth season when we get into the 2024 season yeah i'm trying to do math really quick but it's hard to do but i'm trying to figure out where we'll be at 200 i'm assuming we'll be right around this time we might be able to do yeah. 200 at PitchCon again we'll see we'll, we'll see how the uh, stars align um but we are in the middle of our uh preview episodes we're going to be talking of one single category today uh, the most important category, as most will agree, uh, and that is saves. Uh, it's 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 a fun category because you honestly don't usually know what you're talking about until you actually get into the weeds and <laughs> are halfway through the season and realize everything you might have thought was wrong. Um, and you know, luckily we have some backup to join us on this one, uh, who is no stranger to the category, to relievers in general, and that is our good friend. Mike Carter, uh, you should be following him on the Twitter already at MDRC0508. Uh, you can listen to him if you're not already. You should be uh, at the Fantasy Baseball Beat Podcast, reading all his work over at Fantrax and newly minted over at Rotoballer as well. Uh, like I said, we'll be talking to Mike about uh, uh, everything he he spends most of his time writing about as it is and that is relievers in the saves category specifically but before we get into all that mike thank you so much for coming back on the show uh i know you have got a long fantasy baseball night in the, you're in the middle of it actually uh and so to take some time away to spend it with us as well is uh is a great honor thank you well you guys thank you so much that's a great introduction i appreciate that i'm so happy to be with you guys and be part of this so-called industry and, and haven't gotten to know you guys and call you both friends and a league mate with you, Adam, as well. Um, we just did record a, an episode of the Fantasy Baseball Beat earlier tonight with Matt Kawahara from the Houston Chronicle. And I'm in the middle of a mock draft right now for CBS Sports and hanging out with you guys tonight and talking about some relievers and some saves and hoping that uh, we can help your listeners make some uh, solid choices here as they get ready to be in the middle of draft season if they not if they are not already. Yeah, we're we're doing these a little earlier than I I realize than we did last year. Um, we we're doing this about a couple of weeks earlier than we started doing these, Kevin, uh, last year. And I think that's the smart move. Um, getting kind of the, these preview episodes, especially the way we do them with the categories, um, not in the middle of draft season, like not at the end of February or as draft season, aka March, starts ramping up, but to actually you know get a get a baseline 
of all of these categories and how you're going to kind of put your draft together based on what you're going to do. I, I, I can't echo this enough, but like you got to remember you are make you the listener you are drafting your team we are not anybody else you listen to mike if you listen to his podcast uh you know anything else that you might listen to or read it's all well and good take it all in but you are still making those decisions uh so i think it's good that we're actually you know we're presenting this early enough where you can actually you know soak it all in and then kind of spit it all back out if you haven't started drafting yet all right. Well, we do have some news to get through. Let's get right into it. Uh, we got a decent amount of news this time. Probably not the same amount of news that we hit last week with Eric, Kevin, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll, we'll get there. Uh, let's start off in Los Angeles when it's reported that is assumed that Clayton Kershaw is will be returning to the Dodgers. Um, whether, you know, when he actually makes a start for them is still kind of unclear or unknown, but he will sign a contract with them, which is lovely. My question to you, though, is this just a nice story at this point, or does it provide you any confidence that Kershaw is worth drafting? And if so, in what capacity would you be looking to draft him in? Oh, I don't think I'm drafting him. Probably not even in a draft and hold. There's just still too many unknowns about when he may be returning. Um, everything seems to agree that it would be the second half of the season, if at all, this season. Uh, but it it is nice to to see that he is throwing. He's began his throwing program. That gives me a little more confidence than I did have that we would see him at all in 2024. So it's it's worth watching now but that's just too long of a stash when there's so many question marks on whether we'll actually see him at all uh i am confident if we do see him we'll we'll get we'll get a, a top tier performance so uh he is one of those guys that and if he does not have any setbacks as we approach the all-star break, we'll start talking about him. Is this the week? Do we try to get him for a dollar this week? Do we try to get him for a couple bucks this week? Oh, now he's going on a rehab assignment and he's going for triple digits. So it's it's definitely worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, fair. And the way that the Dodgers are going to be structuring their rotation probably all through the season, even when he does come back, does not you know, bode well for the possibility of any two-star weeks or possibly going deep into games when he, at least when he first starts coming back. Yes, I think that the quality per inning, you're right, is going to be solid. But how many of those innings obviously has to be a question mark. Uh, you know, he's 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 been drafted in my no, drafted. He's been rostered in my dynasty league by somebody else for a long time now but we also have 10 il spots per roster mm. so this is the situation where it's a no-brainer you know you hold on to him you keep him and you kind of stash him in those spots but you know what in this day and age you still fill those 10 il spots at some point during the season and you have to start asking yourself i'm like all right well is he the first one dropped if it's early in the season you've got all those il spots filled a lot of questions you got to start asking around that situation. If you've got minimal IL spots, if you've got three or four, you're going to fill those up pretty quick. And whether or not you want to actually, you know, drop Kershaw in that situation is something you're going to have to take a, you know, a deep, hard look at. All right. Uh, Mike, last week we, I gave Kevin like 
a whole slew of minor league deals. And I asked them if anything was worth looking at. Of course, the answer is usually no. Uh, <laughs> so I'm only going to give you one here. There were a couple, um, you know, that kind of came through. But one always stands out. Anytime you see any kind of hitter, whether it's a minor league deal or a major league deal with the Colorado Rockies, you got to at least take note. So this week's minor league deal of the week is Bradley Zimmer. He signs a minor league deal with the Colorado Rockies. Do you see any path to success for Zimmer in Colorado? Can he crack that roster? If he does, is there playing time in Colorado for him? Uh, what's your take on Zimmer with the Rockies? You know, the thing that's interesting is that I thought this had White Sox all over it. You know, they have a hole in right field. They did make a couple of trades last weekend, but, you know, I thought Zimmer would be a guy that they might give a, ch- a chance to. You know, here's the thing. He's 31. The talent is there. He's never really had an opportunity, mostly due to injury. And when he's had an opportunity, he's really kind of failed to thrive and hit. What he does have is speed and abundance, at least he used to. Uh, and if you look at the Rockies roster, you can kind of see that, there could be a pathway to getting some playing time here. I mean, they're looking right now like they're going to put Nolan Jones in left. It looks like Brenton Doyle is going to be in center. It looks like Hunter Goodman is going to play in right. Those guys being successful to me doesn't seem like a given uh, off the top of my head. And they really have no reason to not give those guys an opportunity. However, when you look at their bench uh, and think about who's going to be on their bench, I definitely think Zimmer is a guy that can make the team. Um, He's an outfielder that it can play all three spots, although he's probably better in the corners at this point. Uh, but as a non-roster invitee and at age 31, you know, they have a, a, an opportunity to keep him there. They don't really have anything else on there as their backups. I mean, Stallings will make the team as a backup catcher, it looks like. Uh, they have Montero, who, you know, has sort of a utility role, it seems like, and maybe Trejo. But I, I really think that Zimmer will make the team. Can we just stop a second and look at this Rockies lineup and just marvel at the fact that there is only, I mean, according to roster resource, uh, Chris Bryant, you know, Charlie Blackman and Liza Diaz are the only ones over the age of 30. And that is absolutely amazing. Um, it is kind of like night and day from what we expect out of the Rockies. So I, what I was going with that is that Zimmer has age on his side. <laughs> the fact that he's over 30 seems like a good thing for the Rockies. Uh, historically, at least recent history would, would suggest. Uh, so there's that going for him as well. And if they're going to just allow a, you know, a 24 year old, a 25 year old and uh, another 25 year old to man the outfield for them. If you asked me if they were going to do that, you know, last year or the year before, I mean, like, absolutely not. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like the Rockies are going to do that. Uh, so there, there's that. He's got age on his side for, you know, somebody over 30. You don't usually say that, but in Colorado, it's a thing. Um, all right, Kevin, newest uh, news that came across the board today is that Gary Sanchez is signing with the Milwaukee Brewers. And I, uh, for those other fathers out there listening who are familiar with the show would understand my unicorse uh, reference here that I linked down here. Um, you know, tell me why should I care? Well, I don't think you should too much. However, there, there may be a few out there. I, I don't think there was very many, but there may be a few deep league early drafters 
that may have Eric Haas or even Austin Nola on a roster. And you can probably go ahead and, and put them uh, as your, your first drop for the first fab run of the season. That's the biggest thing that it looks like here to me. Uh, I'm not worried about William Contreras getting his plate appearances. We know he'll DH and, and get plate appearances other ways. I don't think Gary Sanchez is going to eat into his time behind the plate at all. I think he is the backup. And, yeah, keep Contreras fresh and let him get his plate appearances at other positions. Um, but I, I, I don't have any interest here in Sanchez himself. Uh, and I, I'd just be double-checking my really deep league rosters that I drafted early, make sure I don't have Haas or Nola on the roster. And other than that, um, I, I'm leaving this one alone, I think. Yeah, I think the I think there's some expectation that Gary Sanchez is going to get some DH time as well. I, I'm not as confident in that with, you know, w- the, the kind of plate appearances that you're going to Milwaukee's going to want to get out of some of their younger guys to kind of give them as much you know run as possible. Yelich is going to need some rest on the as a DH and not be able to play the field a lot. Um, so I'm definitely not in the camp of thinking that oh this is a catcher eligible player who's going to get extra run at the DH spot or even like be the primary DH and backup as, as the catchers. Sometimes um, I like the call out that they're, you know, they already had some catch backup catchers on the roster that you might've been interested in. And now not so much. All right. We'll stay in Milwaukee, Mike. They made another move a couple days prior bringing in Jacob Junis. He signs a deal with Milwaukee that presumably puts him in their rotation. I guess, you know, replacing somebody else named Corbin Burns. Mm. Uh, I mean, he was signed as a quote starter. Uh, We'll see how long that lasts, but like less so about Junis, but like, but the rest of the rotation, if Junis was signed as a starter here, what's mm-hmm. the fallout for the rest of the Milwaukee rotation? Like who's the odd man out uh, that Junis is basically taking the place of? Well, that's a really interesting question, Adam, because I think when you look at what they have roster wise, I mean, it's pretty obvious that Freddie Peralta is their ace. Now they have Miley there. They have Colin Ray, who, who they like. Who might who, be a year their ace. <laughs> he'd be the ace on the White Sox. That's for sure. But, you know, the other guy that they got, and you, you mentioned Corbin Burns a minute ago, you know, Deal Hall is looking like a guy that might get a, a chance at the rotation there as well. Bullpen's pretty stacked there. Uh, in terms of, of guys that could get, you know, um, pushed out of there, you know, uh, perhaps, you know, you're looking at, uh, you know, Aaron Ashby is a guy that looks like he uh, is supposed to be coming back. They're saying that he's healthy, but, you know, he had some pretty significant issues last year. Um, he's a guy that they have that, you know, you would think would get an opportunity if he was healthy. Uh, another guy that a lot of players are high on is uh, Robert Gasser. And Jacob Mizorowski is another uh, prospect guy that, you know, looked like they were going to get an opportunity. And now with the signing of Junis, um, you know, he might be in the rotation. The thing that we know about Junis, though, and, and if you follow bullpens at all, is that he's a really effective guy to use as a bridge guy uh, or a, a spot starter. Uh, I, I don't know if he fits into that role in Milwaukee. They don't really do a lot of that unless they're, they're planning to change something. So right now it looks like he's in the rotation and they're giving him a chance. And I know that that's something that he's wanted. He's talked about that in the media, wanting to get an opportunity to start again. 
Um, he's really got, you know, that one great pitch and, and that's kind of it. Uh, but it works. It's worked for him out of the bullpen. So I guess we'll see what happens there. You know, it really looks like Milwaukee is sort of, I don't want to say rebuilding, but maybe retooling a little bit on the fly. The trade of Burns kind of opens up a little bit of opportunity there for some guys. looks like they might have a little bit of competition there in the spring with some of those young guys coming as well. Yeah. I like your point about Junis is just like, he's been that bridge guy, right? Let's just kind of where he's, I'll use air quotes, succeeded um, in his career in that position. So maybe it's a tinfoil hat thing, but like, yeah, maybe they sign him as a starter. Doesn't mean he's going to go five innings. Like maybe, maybe he goes a little bit more than an opener. And then it's more of like a tandem with an Ashby um, or, you know, somebody else in that that's kind of trying out for or deal hall if they're kind of stretching him out or even Colin Ray. Uh, if he if he works in tandem with one of those guys, that, that handshake agreement, they're like, all right, you'll go three or four and then Ashby will go three or four and then we'll go, you know, we'll close it out, um, you know, at the back end of the bullpen, um, which in Milwaukee is, you know, not a. Still not a bad piece of their roster. It's probably the best part of their roster right now. Absolutely. Uh, is, is that back end of that bullpen. Um, so we'll see how he gets used there. And I mean, it, they. I feel like they were doing that uh, with uh, Peralta uh, for a while where he was kind of being the you know four inning guy and then they had somebody else. I think at the time too, it might've been Ashby as well uh, come as before his injury. And, and so it's not something they haven't done in the past. So I wouldn't put him past them to utilize Junis in that role. Still starter, but, you know, three or four innings here or there. Um, one guy that's not going to be filling in the Milwaukee rotation is Ethan Small. He gets traded to San Francisco for everybody's favorite uh, player, Cash, Mr. Cash Considerations. Uh, Kevin, you know, Small had a lot of hype at one point, you know, couldn't stay healthy, couldn't really, you know, stay on the field. Any hopes that the Giants can get out of him basically what Milwaukee wasn't willing or able to do moving forward? It's doubtful, but but anytime a, a pitcher goes to San Francisco, uh, we're gonna keep an eye on him. Uh I, I mean we were just talking about Jacob Junis, who showed a couple of flashes when he was with Kansas City, but it wasn't until he got to San Francisco and they said, Hey. By far, your best pitch is the slider. Why don't you throw it more often? Ah, it's amazing what happens when you throw your best pitch more often. Ah, so it's a shocking uh, thing, isn't it? Worth yeah. watching. Yeah, great ballpark. <laughs> we we love the the ballpark for pitching going to San Francisco. So it's definitely. I I, I say this a lot. I have been saying this a lot in the off season, saying guys are worth keeping an eye on. This this is definitely somebody worth keeping an eye on. But at the moment, I really don't have any interest, definitely not in drafting, but but keeping an eye on this, the ballpark and what San Francisco can do with pitchers. And um, like I said, we just talked about one that was so much better when he went to the Giants than with previous teams. So it's something to watch for sure. All right. Fair enough. Um, all right. We got we're going to close out the news section here with uh, some hometown news for each one of you guys. And we're yes. going to get we're going to get to those right after this break all right mark mike mike mark all right mike not the worst thing i've been called today adam (laughs) fair fair i'm like what do you have against marks i mean that doesn't seem like a bad thing at all (laughs) not at all (laughs) uh you've had to deal with quite as a white Sox fan you have had to deal with 
quite the well last couple of years, but mainly this off season. Um, you got I don't know. Well, I want to get your take on whether or not these were these were good news or bad news recently. The, the, your White Sox made two trades. Uh, one happened right after we finished recording, so we didn't talk about it last week. So we get to talk about it now. And that is uh, sending Gregory Santos off to Seattle. In in return, they bring in Prelander Baroa and outfielder Zach Deloach and the 69th overall pick in the upcoming 2024 draft. Uh, they then acquired Dominic Fletcher, outfielder from Arizona, for Christian Mena. And you please correct me if I mispronounce his name. I apologize to Christian here. Uh, what's your overall take on these moves? I saw your tweet. You, I mean, I, I have a glimpse of what you kind of think, but you got to hold your hat on to something. Are these the things you're going to hold your hat on this offseason? Well, it's been uh, it's been an ordeal, as you know. Uh, it's hard to kind of see what the direction is on this team, quite honestly. Um, what they say and what they do are two very different things. We know that they don't like to spend a lot of money. There was a tweet earlier today that said that the only two teams in Major League history – that have never given a $100 million contract out to anybody are the White Sox and the moribund Oakland Athletics. Uh, so we're in great company there. The biggest contract the White Sox have ever given out is to Andrew Benintendi. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, let's keep that in perspective here. If only they were in a bigger market. I wish if only yeah, they were in I a mean, bigger market. Maybe if they were like in the, you know, the third largest market in the United States, it would be better. But, you yeah. know, who knows? Who's counting? So long story short, uh, We've had little to be excited about, and I both of these trades I thought were good ones. Um, Gregory Santos is not a closer, and he's a, was going to be the closer on the White Sox probably just because they didn't have any other options. Um, they traded him to Seattle and got Deloach, who I think I don't I don't think he's going to make the team, but I think he's a guy that could end up coming up and paying some dividends for them this season. The right right field has been kind of a glaring hole for them for a number of years now. They 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 think Oscar Colas needs another year of seasoning at AAA. It seemed that way. Um, his mentality when he was here, uh, he, he was not really engaged in the game, which is the criticism that we heard often. And so he needs some more seasoning. Gavin Sheets has kind of shown us what he is, and we should just believe that. I don't think there's another level there that's going to be unlocked. So long story short, I think uh, Baroa is the key thing there. Obviously, the pick is the key thing, but Barrow is a guy that's definitely going to make the team, I would think, and be in the middle of that bullpen mix. And he's nasty. I, he, he's got a nasty slider. Uh, Sam Worshin, my good friend, reached out to me right after the trade was made and said, tell me what I'm getting. I said, you're getting a reliever to replace Topa, and we're getting some useful pieces that we can use here on the south side. He was not super happy with my response uh, and what I told him what I thought Santos was. Um, and so I think that that's a really nice move for them. The one that I really like, though, was getting Fletcher because uh, Fletcher is kind of landlocked there in Arizona. Um, there's a lot of young guys there that are vying for playing time. He came up and, and showed pretty well when he was there. I don't think we know exactly what he is. I mean, he's a little, he's a shorter guy, younger brother of David Fletcher. He's about five foot six. He's a lefty bat. I think they can kind of plug and play him in right field and kind of see what happens. He He's a really good defensive player. And the one thing that I will say that the White Sox did do this offseason is they really are putting a premium on getting guys that can play defense. They don't have anybody that can hit, mind you, but adding Paul DeJong to, to be the bridge to Montgomery. Montgomery's coming, no doubt. We saw him in Arizona. Um, Kevin, you saw him too. He he looks like he's the real deal. Um, I'm not saying Bobby Whitlike, but, you know, hey, a, a guy that's going to be a player for them for a while, I think, and can play short, and I think he can play shortstop. 
Um, but I think that they, they solved that right field spot, at least for the time being, at least as a bridge until they have something else there. Uh, maybe it's Colas, maybe it's somebody else, but definitely think that Fletcher can play, gets on base. Uh, he can move a little bit. He's fast, but he's not a good base stealer, so that's something that they'll probably have to work on unpacking. I liked both of those moves. It actually kind of gave me a little bit of light in the darkness of the insane offseason for the White Sox, in all honesty. Yeah, I mean, the the name that stands out to me the most was Brelander Barroa, and that's mostly just echoing all like the, the giddiness that you see out of Nick Pollock um, on Twitter when that came up. Uh, and what, he, you know, the potential he could as a starter or as a reliever. Do you see him kind of flourishing in that reliever role in the short term? Or do you think the White Sox actually provide him an opportunity to start? Well, I think the one thing that you have to kind of weigh out here is that the White Sox can't develop pitching. It's been a huge problem for them over the course of time. Um, but the one thing that is interesting in this is that, um, and and Kevin will remember him from his days in Kansas City, is that Brian Bannister is their pitching coordinator. And he's he comes very highly touted. And he worked with Baroa when Baroa was in San Francisco. And so I think they're seeing something there. It would not surprise me in the least if at some point during the season, if they unlock a code with him, like a cheat code with him, and he ends up becoming the closer for a really, really bad White Sox team. The other thing I would say, too, and I don't know if we'll have an opportunity to talk about this later, but I'm not convinced that Michael Kopech is going to be in the rotation, especially if they're stretching out Garrett Crochet. So Kopech to me is a name to kind of keep an eye on because I think he could be a phenomenal closer if they just said, here, go out there for an inning, throw 30 pitches and just gas everybody and throw your slider. You know, that might be something that's interesting. But Baroa definitely is a guy that I think will make the team. They've got a lot of openings in that bullpen and is somebody that could really come in and surprise given an opportunity if he has the command. And that's the issue that he's had uh, historically has been Boy, you know, he throws it really hard and he's got good stuff, but he really doesn't always seem to know where it's going. Yeah. Uh, I'll be interested. I mean, I, I am definitely the type that if I happen to be at the end of a 12 team draft and news breaks like this that could go either direction, I will throw my 29th round pick at somebody. I did that with Baroa. Like the news happened and I was three picks away. And I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, I'm, we'll see if he's still there. We're not, yeah, he's still there. Okay. I'm, you know, I don't have to think about this anymore. Um, these are fab leaks too. So these are th- these are darts that you can throw and you can see how how it works out in spring training and make your decision the first one or two fab periods pretty easy pretty easily. Um, going back to like Ashby is another example. Like I, I've taken more darts on Ashby this offseason than I think I probably should. Um, <laughs> but he's but he's a decision last year. No, no, no. No, no, no. Okay. No. I was my wording was careful. Uh, absolutely not. Um, I, I was curious because I, yeah. I remember you taking him a lot last. Yeah, last a little bit. Season. I took a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I, I have 100. A, a couple questions for Mike as well. One, I actually I just like to echo his sentiment on uh, Bannister. Uh, he he had a, a stint as the manager of the Kansas City Royals when things weren't going so well for the Royals. But the he he's amazing on the pitching side of things. Over the past year or two, as the Royals have been revamping their entire entire organization, I was really hopeful mm-hmm. that they were going to bring Bannister back uh, in a position similar to where he is with the White Sox now. I love that. My question for you, Mike, is the other White Sox 
uh system player we got to see a lot of in arizona was brian ramos and i like mm -hmm. him quite a bit you think mm -hmm. we see him uh in 2024 and if so when uh th this is very important to a couple of my teams yeah i think there's a definite chance i mean um you know we, we're getting the whole, you know, uh, Yohan Moncada is in the best shape of his life nonsense again, you know, and um, I, I, that's great and fine and dandy, but we, we kind of know what he is. I mean, he's about to age out of the only good season he's had. It's been five years. Um, I, I don't know that he's ever going to really be the guy. And I could see them in, in a team where, you know, they're going to struggle to probably win 60 games that they could really look at trading him and opening that spot up for Ramos. I mean, the thing that surprised me about Ramos in Arizona was that I, I thought he was a different kind of player. Like I thought he was thicker than what he is. He's actually pretty lean. He's light on his feet. He's made a lot of strides playing third base. And if you're going to be terrible, why not start with the left side of the infield with Montgomery and Ramos and just let those guys play. I think Montgomery is going to – I don't think Montgomery will make the team, but I think that he will be up early. And I think Ramos could too if they decide that they need to move Moncada or they're going to trade him. Their only other option at third base really right now is Nicky Lopez. I mean, do you want to do that? Like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to see that. Like, no, I don't think anybody does, you know. Um, so, you know, he's fine at second base or whatever, but I don't want to see him at third base. So I think there's a definite possibility that Ramos could be up, especially in the second half of the season. Nice. All right, well, there's something to look forward to then uh, for both Kevin's teams and Mike's actual team. Uh, all right, well, let's move from uh, the White Sox down to Kansas City, Kevin. And your Royals, they locked up their boy, Bobby Witt Jr., for presumably his entire career. Uh, and congrats on that. I mean, he's obviously a very good talent. We've known this for a long time. Uh, and now Kansas City has the face of their franchise for you know the next you know decade plus uh unless you know unless he opts out of some of these 35 million dollar a year contracts we'll see how inflation works out when that comes around uh but not really fantasy related because i mean we know who bobby witt is we know he's going in the top five picks of most drafts this year uh it's not really affecting anything that we talk about but I'm curious to know what your thoughts on why Kansas City was willing to fork out this kind of a contract. You know, I tweeted out mm -hmm. if you compare this to what the contracts that we saw J Rod get and Acuna get, um, they're night and day as far as both in like both years and AAV and you know total dollars. Obviously, um, it's more in line. I was just looking up Tatis's deal. You know, his pre-arb deal. Um, that you know it's a little closer to his um a little bit less but the the aav after arbitration years closer to that 35 million dollar mark per year um it just is this more kansas city knew what they had and they wanted to lock them up or is this more you know j-rod and acuna probably should have gotten more at at the time what were your what are your thoughts here i think it's a little bit of all of that throw in the fact that we have a, a, a ownership group that's been in place for two seasons and they're looking to build a new stadium. Uh, that, that's a big part of this as well. Uh, getting getting fan interest and, and getting support behind what however they decide they're going to ask for money for the new stadium. So there, there's a lot going on here. I, I think I think the biggest difference between Bobby Witt Jr. and some of the other players you mentioned is, is just just the backgrounds they come from. I mean, we, we know 
uh, Bobby Witt Sr. was an MLB player. Is Bobby Witt Jr.'s agent uh it wasn't a huge at, at least from the outside looking in it does not appear that it was a huge deal for bobby witt jr to get a lot of money up front uh those post arbitration years at 35 million a year was his focus uh as opposed to some of the other players especially uh, some of the atlanta signings that we know it was a big deal for these guys to get several million dollars that early in their careers uh it, not as big of a thing for bobby witt jr putting it off till later I, I i think was more doable for him and maybe even more desirable by him uh but that i mean backing up just a little bit other than uh, a, a couple of nights one that occurred in 1985 and one that occurred in 2015 this is the that, that was the biggest day in kansas city royals history was was making this signing i mean this is a big deal uh especially on top of the offseason they've had which isn't the most amazing group of players that have ever been signed by a team in an offseason but mm -hmm. the fact that the royals are doing it and then go out and lock up bobby witt jr for hopefully 11 to 14 years depending on what he decides to do with those opt-outs um yeah that uh, third biggest day in kansas city royals history that's you know and that's that thing something obviously you got to include those two other dates uh for sure but yeah <laughs> it, it's interesting yeah um yeah i didn't really consider the idea that you know they're you know i knew that they were looking to lock up a new stadium in kansas city and i i, I wonder if this is a precursor to more spending or maybe not this off season we're kind of winding down there's only a couple of other you know marquee guys on the market still um but going into next year in the al central i mean if you listen on the corner you hear nick pollock say that his bold prediction for this year is kansas city's winning the division um whether that's bold or not I'm, you know it's a question mark because the division is not great as mike will, <laughs> as mike can attest to uh so i wonder i mean if they do something if they're if they pull a baltimore right and they're just kind of better than they maybe thought they were going to be this year if they go out and you know spend spend that extra money next year and maybe make that trade that baltimore did with corbin burns and like mm -hmm. those types of moves leading up to again the stadium that you're talking about um but this is going to be the house that Witt built at this point i mean simple as that um so yeah, that's a driving absolutely. factor mike brought it up just a few minutes ago until two days ago the kansas city royals were the third team that had never signed a 100 million dollar contract and now this contract eclipses the top four they've ever signed signed combined wow Salvi, alex gordon uh Ian Kennedy and Gil Mesh was their first fifty Gil million dollar signing years ago, and, and he didn't end up even playing out that contract. He yep. retired before it was over due to injury. So th this is a huge deal for Kansas City. And it, let, to your point, Adam, in the future, not this season, but going forward, this could mean free agents, the higher tier free agents, are more willing to at least listen to it. Yeah, I mean that that's a great point. Just the now it's an option. You know, what I mean now it's like mm -hmm. like hey, maybe I wouldn't mind going to Kansas City or at least talking to them and seeing where their direction is going and all that. Mm -hmm. Um it bring it you know, it, it pushes the chair open so they can sit at the table. 
um, if nothing else. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I will echo my tweet earlier. I think that it's, uh, it's a little um, mis- misplaced to kind of like give uh, uh, criticism to players who sign these pre-arbitration deals at such a low AAV. Obviously, with getting his after, the, after his arbitration, you see it jump up to $35 million mm-hmm. a year. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact that, you know, he's getting, you know, single digits in like the first year or you know close you know low double digits uh, aav um million still millions dollars uh and these are arbitration years they're just buying out right. arbitration years this is not the Actually, market still league minimum years he would yes, be getting about 600,000 yeah, yeah. right yeah <laughs> so i it's a little misguided it's not a free market with these guys, with these young guys, no matter how talented they are, it's just not how the system is built out. Mm-hmm. Keep that in mind when, you know, like, Hey, this guy is only making $7 million. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero jr. Did not sign a long-term deal. He won his arbitration case. So he's making $19.9 million. So there, there is that there's that risk you run where you lose, you end up winning or losing your arbitration cases. You get hurt. There's a There's so many things riding against you as a major league baseball player that, you know, I, I, I definitely do not uh, uh, blame any player for signing those contracts, no matter how low they might seem mm-hmm. at the, at the major league level, um, because it's not a free, it's not a free market. Simple as that. All right. Um, well, we got, we got a lot to talk about in the saves category. As I talked about at the top of the show, um, we're going to talk about some draft strategy revolving around the position. And then we got a bunch of players to talk about at the end. Of course, we're going to play my favorite game. We're going to play some ask and we'll get <laughs> to all that after this break. All right, we're back. You're still listening to on the wire. I am Adam Howe joined by Kevin Hastings and we are lucky to be joined by Mr. Mike Carter. Mike, take this opportunity in the middle of the show, not the, not the very end where everybody's turned everything off. Uh, remind everybody where they should be listening and reading your work and anything you got going on uh, on in the pipe. Well, we got a lot going on, you know, these days. Uh, I'm working at Rotoballer and doing some pieces for them. I'll have a piece coming out later this week on some infielders and outfielders in the age 26 to 29 age bracket that you should be trying to take a look at. Um, I have my bullpen stuff coming out at Fantrax over the week. Uh, I don't know if it'll be over the weekend or not. It might hit before the weekend. I did a top 50 reliever ranks for them and that only not only includes guys that could get saves, but also some guys that you might want to speculate on. Maybe Michael Kopech's on that list. Maybe he's not. And, um, and I'm, you know, continuing to do the fantasy baseball beat with Chris Torres. We just recorded an episode tonight and we're going to start moving that back to weekly now that the season's getting going. And that's where we you know interview beat reporters and have guests on like you guys come on and talk about, different things that are going on in the fantasy world. So we definitely got enough to keep us busy over here. <laughs> I love, I love the format you guys have on that show. Um, I've said oh, this thanks. since day one, mm-hmm. nobody else, no, no fan. No, there's no other fantasy podcast that I know of that is doing that regularly. You might have somebody come on once in a while as a guest, mm-hmm. but the fact that that's like your focus and you guys have stayed true to that focus for this is your, this will be your third season doing the podcast. If I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, it's interesting. We, we we're really fortunate to get um, people who were willing to come on and, and we get really good um, writers to come on, guys that I guys and girls that I followed for a long time. And um, they're more than gracious with their time. And it, it gives we feel like it gives the fancy player 
uh, a little bit of an edge because of the fact that we're talking to people who are covering the team on a daily basis and can give us some useful information. Uh, and we and we really like doing it that way. And I think that um, it has hit a note. You know, the thing is, I think in our world that there's so many good podcasts out there. You have to find kind of a niche. You're not going to compete with a lot of the. You guys have been going strong for a long time. You know, you got Race and Barrels. You got the HQ guys. You know, uh, we could go on and on and on talking about that. So I think we just really have to figure that piece out. You know, those are things that we look at that we're, you know, I think we we see that there's a, a spot there and, and maybe a little bit of a gap. And so we try to walk through it and it's a lot of fun. It's fun to do the stuff with your friends that you guys know. And I'm just thrilled to be part of it. I always think at any moment this could all go to hell in a handbasket and I would be back doing nothing again. So I'm really just trying to enjoy it while it lasts. It's really fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's, let's get into everybody's favorite subject matter. And that is, you know, how do you draft saves? How do you consider that, that category when you're drafting and then, you know, into the season as well. Uh, so first and foremost, you know what, uh, Kevin, I'm going to ask you like, has anything changed going into 2024 drafts as to how you are considering saves as a category uh, versus what we saw last year. I mean, we talked about it at nauseum last year going into drafts for 2023. We saw, you know, in gladiators, we saw uh, closures going on, the, you know, back to back on the turn on the, on the one, two turn. Like we saw some, what was kind of crazy things um, as far as what we had been expect had seen in years prior, um, are you expecting or have you experienced slash expecting mm-hmm. more of the same going into kind of uh, you know the bigger drafts in March? Yeah, without skipping too much ahead here, Adam, uh, it's it's something you have in in the outline, and and I'm just going to address this. Uh, you you have it bold and underlined in the outline. You, you want to ask it or is it okay if I go, oh, go right? Yeah, 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 go for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have this right in the middle of the outline. Is it me or does it seem like we know who the set closer is going to be on more teams heading into 2024 than we did heading into 2023? I think it seems like we think we do, <laughs> but it's because of what we saw in 2023 which was a complete outlier to what we've seen for the past several years. Mm -hmm. So I am realizing over just the past few days, maybe the past week or two that maybe things we think we know aren't quite as, as set as we think they might be. And we're going to get into that throughout this episode. Um, Many of the groups of players you have, there are those out there that believe they are the guy. There are others that believe not so fast. Maybe somebody else has a, uh, has a a more likely uh, scenario where they get more of the ninth inning opportunities. And I'm just starting, like I said, over the past week or so to wonder, are, are we too comfortable with some of these projections and some of what we think we know because prior to last season it has not been this way for a long time mike we have i mean by the time this uh episode drops it will have already passed but we have our clarf draft um part of the earth fantasy baseball leagues and that's happening this weekend um are you expecting to see 
saves get pushed up as a 15 teamer it's just on the nfbc platform so you know it's the same format as a main event uh to put things in perspective um uh, with some you know incredibly intelligent smart drafters um <laughs> in that room um or at their computers uh and <laughs> i mean i i haven't seen this push this year so far i've done a couple 15s i've done a couple of 12s um all on the nfbc platform and i haven't seen this push into the second round even into the third round i think might have seen diaz go in the third round a couple times but um are you are you expecting to kind of see that curveball happen for the same reasons that kevin was talking about or you know are, are you gonna hold tight no um You'll see it from your computer on Saturday for sure, I would say. Um, you're you're going to see, I think, in the – and I hope that this doesn't come off the wrong way. I, I think in the the more, quote-unquote, expert leagues, you start to see the closers fly off because what people really want in those is that – what Kevin was kind of referring to as well before, like the certainty. But when we talk about saves and closers and certainty in the same sentence, it doesn't really exist. And so we can look at it and we say, oh, you know, Edwin Diaz will probably be the top closer off the board or Hayter or Devin Williams or any of a number of guys. And every what everybody's really trying to do, I think, is say, okay, I want to get a guy that's going to get 30 saves, it's going to help me with ratios, and maybe try to get me 100 strikeouts in that deal, right? If you're going to do that, you're going to have to strike early because the Sharks are going to be swimming on Saturday. And I won't say them by name. I have too much respect for them. But my father-in-law always used to say, God rest him. He would say, if you're in a room and you don't know who the mark is, it's you. <laughs> and, and so um, I, I think that that's going to happen pretty quick. I, I pers- personally, I feel okay sharing this. I think if you, in an expert draft, you have to have a, a good closer or somebody you think is going to be a good closer within the first five picks. Otherwise, you're not going to be getting saves on your roster and you're going to be chasing them all year. And I think what we've seen in Glarf, Adam, if we use that as sort of the backdrop of this, is that people will try to speculate uh, and spend big money in fab trying to get guys that they think are going to get saves. And they might spend triple digits for a guy that might get four or five and then a a guy that doesn't really explode on the Mm -hmm. scene. There's not really a lot of minor league guys that we earmark that say, oh, this guy is one to watch. It's going to be a closer. It's usually going to be a war of attrition and fought from within. So I agree with what you said that, you know, when you look at it, there's probably 10, maybe 12 quote unquote sure things, but there's a bunch of other guys that I think are going to provide some value and are going to be able to get you saves as you kind of move through that uh, and, and find those guys throughout. Personally for me, uh, I've played that fool's game of trying to find saves on the waiver wire in a deep league. You're not going to really be able to do it. So I think your best bet is to roster somebody that you think is going to be really good. I'm probably going to try to go for two of those guys and just be done with it for the peace of mind that I need to have as a drafter. Yeah. I I mean, I don't, I haven't, I haven't quite done it that way in any of my drafts so far. I've definitely taken my one and then I, you know, roll the dice on somebody a little bit later. Um, But in years prior, even prior to last year, I would typically kind of do the double tap in some fashion, uh, whether it was round, four or five or round, you know, eight, nine. Um, but I wanted to make sure like I got two guys that I felt comfortable with at the same level, whether again, it was three, four, four, five or down below. Um, either way, 
I kind of trusted both of them. It was almost like a, you know, a talent handcuff, not a team handcuff, but a talent handcuff. Uh, right. So I agree right. that having those two guys at the same level um, is, is definitely, it's going to be a common, common practice. I think in most drafts uh, heading closer and closer to opening day. For example, in the CBS draft that I'm doing right now, which is another room full of sharks, I did do what you sort of suggested there, which was I did a class A Duran double tap. Um, and then I'm going to add someone of like an AJ Minter or Brian Abreu type as well to help with some ratio controls and to get a few more strikeouts here instead of taking a crappy six starter. Um, so I, I, I don't know if that's going to work out or not. I mean, it looks great. It's fun to look at <laughs> on paper. I can tell you uh, the rest of my team might, might stink, but uh, we'll see. Um, the reason I like what you just talked about, both of you guys, and I brought this up a couple of years ago. It, it's not even about the saves. But if you are comfortable in the save category with a couple of guys, it means we have more options for our chasing wins and chasing strikeouts, right? <laughs> we can use our Brian Abreu's and Matt Brashes as our seventh pitcher, knowing we, we, we don't even care if they get a save or not. If they get one, it's great. They're going to get one once in a while. It's great. Maybe they get a win. And then, like you just said, Mike, we can even back up and maybe get another high-quality reliever in that sixth spot even. But it makes it, it takes the stress off of our starting pitching staff if we have a couple of good closers. Yeah, you also have to know how – what you're willing to do, you have to know your managerial style, whether or not you are willing to put in the work to, you know, work the wire. If you're not, then, you know, you, you're going to pay for it. I mean, Kevin, you said this <laughs> multiple years and multiple times. You're going to pay for it either way. You're going to pay for it either on the wire or you're going to pay for it at, mm -hmm. at the draft table. Uh, and or so you have to know, on your ratios. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Or on your, yeah, your actual stats. <laughs> Either way, uh, you will pay for it at some point or another. Um, I talked about handcuffs earlier, Mike. I want uh, I heard um, heard you talking with Chris on uh, Baseball Beat um, about this a little bit with Jason Adam um, and, and, and Fairbanks, obviously as the Adam, as you pointed pointed out, is the obvious handcuff for for Fairbanks. Um, but in general, are you? targeting the hand the quote handcuff to your especially if you're paying top dollar for you know a third or fourth round pick type of guy like are you you're drafting class a are you targeting you know scott barlow later on to, as a as your reliever that you are going to be using as your sixth starter or your sixth pitcher seventh pitcher or whatever as both insurance and then hopefully they're good enough to actually you know be useful if class A, you know, doesn't go down. Yeah. You know, I think that that's really interesting kind of thing to, to think about here, right. It's like you have, it really depends to me, I think on, on what your, what obviously what kind of league you're in, the depth of the league that you're in and the things that kind of go along with that. There's definitely nothing wrong with doing that. There, there are, there is a school of thought that says, you know, if you roster everyone that's on a committee, you're going to get all of that team saves, but it, doesn't always seem to work out that way. And that could be a situation that Kevin's Royals find themselves in this year, actually. They've got about three or four guys that could lay claim to that job. So I've heard some people doing that. For me, I think if, if you think that there's an, a, an opportunity for someone to lose that job or that they're going to get moved. So, like, 
you use Class A as an example. You know, it's 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 easy to see that Class A could get traded. I mean, Cleveland does things like that. If he gets traded, Barlow seemingly would be the guy. I think the same thing in Milwaukee. Devin Williams is going to close wherever he goes, but if he leaves, you know, you got Abner Uribe, you got Trevor McGill, you got a couple of guys there that could really be lights out type of closers with what we saw last year. So in the, in that sense, if you're thinking ahead and thinking like a general manager and the, and you roster someone like that, boy, you're really looking to try to find some somebody that's got upside there. I think in a, in a league like what we play in, I don't know that I would probably that I would draft Barlow unless I had a strong inkling that a guy like Class A was on the move. Class A did blow 12 saves last year, and that seems to kind of go under the radar a lot that, you know, probably that was over usage. Uh, I think he'll probably be okay. So we'll see how that all plays out. But I'm looking more for the guys when I'm drafting, essentially, what I'm really doing is I'm looking for the guys that I know can help me even if they don't get that job. So the Brian Abreu's, the A.J. Minters, the Adam, as you mentioned before, um, uh, Matt Brash would be another one who actually could walk into some save opportunities depending on how Scott Service uses that bullpen. I'm looking more at that than I am at a handcuff necessarily. Although Adam is not a bad handcuff when you think about it because of the fact that Fairbanks has never thrown more than 45 innings, and he's got Raynaud syndrome and a variety of different issues that seem to crop up. And Adam's probably going to get 10 to 12 uh, saves no matter what anyway. So you can make a really strong argument for handcuffing in that situation for sure. So I'm not really answering the question. It sounds like I'm running for president, but um, I I really kind of look more for those guys that I think can help me that are not necessarily handcuffs, but guys that could help me as a reliever, as uh, somebody to help with ratio control and get me 100 strikeouts and not blow me up like Jamison Tyone or something like that, you know? You have my vote, Mike. There you go. So, there you go. <laughs> I'm I'm not as old as those other guys, although I am pretty old. So yeah. <laughs> um, I'm willing to bet Mike would sweep this entire industry. He would get every vote. There you go. I, <laughs> I do not doubt it whatsoever. Uh, it, it's just an interesting thought. If you're going to go the route that you're talking about doing in this mock draft that you're doing, where you're going to end up grafting one or two of these, you know, solid late inning slash middle relievers who are going to provide you value in the ratios or whatever. If you think far enough ahead about that in, in that may or may not dictate the, the closers that you end up pulling the trigger on wherever you're going to pull the trigger on. Um, so like wherever you're going to pull a trigger most of the time, unless you're at the tail end of some kind of run, you've got two or three options, right? So, uh, they, they, they all get drafted in like these little bubbles. And if you start the run, you have your choice. Um, you might want to consider who their backup is, whether or not you, they would be useful as a reliever on your team anyway. Um, and that might be the tiebreaker for who you choose as your set closer, knowing that you could still, you could handcuff them with a talented reliever um, as you mentioned, like, mm-hmm. so like if Munoz is the guy you're going after, like, great. Now, you know, that, you know, Brash is still going to be talented, uh, talented enough and useful enough in other capacities, uh, that it makes, it makes the target of him even more likely for you. If that's, you know, that's the strategy you're going to go with. Uh, Absolutely. Something to consider. I'm waiting for the day that 
bullpens in general get treated like defensive teams in fantasy football where you can just draft an entire bullpen instead mm-hmm. of having to chase safes um or hold i've never or seen whatever. that, that would be i know thing. i know and that's why i'm waiting for the day to somebody take it like just make it an option you don't have to do it but make it an option like you can still play in idp leagues and you know individual defensive player leagues uh but most leagues play with the defense and you don't have to pick a safety or a tackle or whatever. Uh, why not? Like it, it would bring in a whole different slew of strategy because you'd be on the hook for every reliever that came into the game. Um, and especially at this day and age too, when you have openers, technically the starting pitcher would be part of the bullpen and you would get all those stats too. So um, it would, it would create a whole nother corner of our industry to fill as far as i have an addition to that adam (laughs) i love this and i have an addition to make to it the the first league i played in was a points league and your hitters did get negative one point when they committed an error okay so if your bullpen was kind of like defense defense slash special teams Mm -hmm. so that anybody on the team commits an error you're losing something as well that would make it very interesting (laughs) if you can if you can incorporate fielding into fantasy you you in a specialized league like that bullpens (laughs) yeah it only goes on the bullpen yeah yeah that's true no matter what (laughs) i like it um so somebody make make this happen fantasy league um, i love it i think it's a great idea guys all right well let's uh last couple questions here revolving around actually you know what you're actually going to do in drafts that exist right now um mike uh you know if you are all right let's let's get away from save just for a second and just Mm -hmm. talk about the idea of um drafting relievers that are going to help you in other categories as you mentioned um you're you talked about it in a way where you're going to draft some guys that are going to help out your ratios um but how how often are you chasing like the quote first man up the guy that can come up in the fourth inning um to vulture a win in a good situation um and i know you know kevin will always say it's like you know we don't want to chase wins but we have to so is this a viable strategy both mostly in season to chase those wins um or is it as i put in the notes just a fool's errand (laughs) i think it's probably a little bit of both quite honestly it's it's hard to do it because we know managers are a fickle bunch right they we they they change their ideas and their desires on a whim and we don't always know what those are and so i can't say that i actually have ever chased vulture wins but when you look at guys like, you know, we, we, we're talking about Brash again, right? I mean, Brash had nine wins last year um, and double-digit saves and double-digit holds, right? So he's a really valuable guy. Can you predict that he's going to have that many wins again this year? You can't. He might have three. He could have 12. We don't know. It's, it's really hard to speculate on that. And um, one of the things that I kind of really do believe in, it kind of goes back to what Ron Chandler always has said, is, you know, drafting the skills – and not necessarily the roles. It feels like a risky play to me to be drafting a guy that could come in like in the fourth or the fifth inning. Like we were talking about Junis before, right? Junis gets some vulture wins or whatever. Is it worth rostering a guy like that for the off chance that he's going to have that happen? To me, it's not. 
And so what I end up doing is, like I was talking about before with the mentors and Abreus of the world, is I'll look at my starters that I have. And if I have a fifth or sixth starter that I think is kind of weak or has a bad matchup that week, I love having one of those types of guys that I can fill in there. Um, somebody that maybe comes in and gets two or three outings, maybe gets four or five strikeouts, maybe gets a win, maybe gets a save. I don't know if that's the right way to play it, but that's kind of how I choose to play it. It makes me feel the most comfortable. Uh, I generally finish in the middle of the pack, usually on wins. Um, and, and so I think what I've been doing there has been pretty okay. I feel like I, you can always kind of get starting pitching on the waiver wire. I, I Maybe that's a, a fool's errand, like you said before. But I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not sure that I would ever, unless it's a real, if it's like a 50 or something like that. Yeah, then okay, sure. But if you're playing in a, you know, a 15 teamer or 12 teamer, I'm not sure that's a strategy that I would go for. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I bring this up a lot and I usually get the same answer from everybody. Uh, but it's, it, I, I think it's worth considering as you are going throughout the season. I, I can't imagine drafting with this in mind per se. Um, it's more something you have to kind of see how the, the team is utilizing their bullpen. Right. If there is somebody right. who's regularly coming up first, um, you know, we saw when like Nick Pavetta made the transition into the bullpen, you knew even if he wasn't coming in after quote an opener, like he was still coming in after the third or fourth inning and maybe he was going four or five innings still. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But this was like a situation where he kind of could predict it. Um, You could kind of see it coming ahead of time. And even in a daily moves league, you could make an adjustment on that. Um, Absolutely. Which was actually kind of sneaky because like you knew he was starting, even though he didn't have a little carrot in front of him. Um, And you know, he was going to do better in that bullpen role than he was as a starter anyway. Uh, but it's so hard to predict unless you're like, you, you just know that this guy has the role, that particular right. role for his team. Right. I think what you're saying about the daily leagues and things like that is really important. You know, my home league is an ESPN league where um, there are pitchers that have the SP and RP designation mm-hmm. and you can, you only get nine starts a week in that league. So uh, sometimes what I'll do is if I'm down on points or if I need something like that, you know, you pay attention to see, oh, who's going to piggyback off of this guy this week? You know, if it's going to be a, a Junis or a Brebia like the Sox have now, Brebia might be the closer, for God's sake. But if you ended up having a situation like that where you could take a guy like that, you're going to get three or four innings out of him, and he might be able to get you enough points to win the week, I could see making a move like that. I can't see rostering either one of those guys for the long term, but if you were in a spot where you needed to win the week, if you were in the playoffs, absolutely, all is fair in love and war, man. I, I'm always I just hold on so tightly to the 2021 Brent Suter situation where he led, you know, we talked about him every week, Kevin, <laughs> but like he led the Brewers in wins um, out of the bullpen with 12. Uh, but the it was Colin Poche last year. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's usually somebody it's just figuring out who that's going to be is a little, a little bit more difficult. Yeah, and I think it's uh, both of you guys have brought this up. It's more of an in-season thing. I, I've dug several hours into this and i have not found anything that that leads you in any direction on a season to season basis as far as this is concerned but in season yeah you know at at the end of the year last year 
Alec Marsh was a follower for Kansas City, was coming in and throwing four or five innings, getting us eight strikeouts even, and, and qualifying for a win. When you see a pattern like that in season, they're amazing. But I have not been able to find anything uh, over the past few years that that is sticky season to season in this regard. All right. All right. Last thing, Kevin, you talk about this a lot, so I'll let you take the lead on this, uh, especially in season. Usually have a stash spot right on your roster, on your bench, uh, whether that's for, you know, with a prospect or somebody who's injured or sometimes it's a reliever. Um, Maybe you have two stash spots and one of them is always a reliever. But you're always you you always say like, hey, I'm not going to you know pick this other stash up if I'm already stashing so and so. So how long? Do you hold on to said stash until you're like, well, it hasn't the stash has not worked out. It's not worth the juice is not worth the squeeze here. Uh, how long, you know, in what situations we're like, fine, I'll finally make this, I'll make this switch. It really depends on why we thought they were a stash to begin with. Do we still believe in that? Were we just were we, is they is it just that he's the next guy up if there's an injury? That's an easier guy to let go. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, then somebody that, oh, the the closer has had a, a couple of rough outings, but they write the ship. That's a little that's different. It's easier to let that stash go. Ah, the, the main guy's been performing better. Doesn't mean he doesn't get hurt his next outing Monday evening after you drop the guy Sunday night. Mm-hmm. But it there's there's just these different you know, aspects of it. But in general, if I'm going to stash a guy for the same reason, I'm, I'm not going to make that change. One, I'm not going to waste my fab dollars. Mm -hmm. And two, I'm not going to put myself in a situation where these guys probably have about the same chance of becoming a closer. And I'm going to drop the guy uh, that, that does end up getting the job right it's it's just probably a superstitious thing but in in many cases there's a reason i would rather stash this guy now than the guy i was stashing then i'll make that move but if it's for about the same reason maybe even a little bit better of a reason is it enough better for me to spend that money that that that's where i'm at i don't like making a lot of changes with my stash unless there's unless i don't think the stash i already have is worthy any longer mm-hmm. is it, probably the biggest uh aspect of it is is the guy i'm stashing still worth holding on to that that that's a fair point and, and just whether or not you, you got to balance out you know the the reasons you would be considering uh picking up this other guy something just everybody should consider too is especially in weekly formats which is what we focus mostly on with these fabs if you drop somebody you still can get them back you you remember that like if you drop somebody it's not a dailies moves league it's not you know quickest fingers it's you know, you have the opportunity to spend money next week and bring them back in. Um, and so if you do lose out on the, if you do switch that stash and the stash you dropped works out at the worst possible time, uh, you know, you might have to spend a little bit extra money to get them back, but you still have the opportunity. This is why people like auctions, right? Because it's like you have, if you want the top four guys, you can get them. 
okay. it'll cost you in other situations, but you, and you do can have you the opportunity this year. If you're spending close to 70 on Acuna, <laughs> I, I hadn't actually thought of that yet. <laughs> maybe, maybe not the best example this year, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think you can still do it. But. Mike, in general, how are, are you stashing? Are you using, especially in an NFBC limited roster kind of situation? Oh, you know, it doesn't have to be NFBC. It could be in any, it could be CBS, Yahoo, whatever. Mm-hmm. If you have a smaller roster, smaller list of benches, uh, are, are you using them to stash a reliever that could walk themselves into saves? Um, even if you have like those two quote ace saves you know kind of in the hole you maybe you spent up a three and a fourth round pick and went double tap yeah i absolutely would and i think what i think about what kevin said i think is prescient and right on right but if you think about it you get down to the end of something and you look at uh faulty bullpen situations right ones where it's a little edgy so i i think of like washington right where they have finnegan and Finnegan looks like he's the guy, but everyone who watches the games knows that Hunter Harvey is a better pitcher than Finnegan is, right? So I draft Hunter Harvey with the idea that I don't he doesn't have the role now, but I think he's going to get the role. And if he lucks into that or Finnegan gets hurt or Finnegan gets traded to somebody and goes somewhere else, Finnegan's probably not going to close at his next stop, but we know that Harvey will close if Finnegan's gone. Now, with my luck, they'll probably give it to Tanner Rainey. But in reality, I would think, you know, if you have Hunter Harvey and you stash him, and a month into the season, Finnegan is showing his true colors. All of a sudden, you got a free guy right there that you took in the last round that can get you some more saves and keep you competitive within, you know, whatever game that you're playing in that moment. I think it's definitely a viable strategy. The problem that you have is that the bottom part of your roster, especially in these competitive leagues, you got to churn. And so you could do like a Hunter Harvey for a couple of weeks. And if it's if it's not looking like it's going your way and Finnegan's, you know, kicking butt and keeping the job and doing whatever, you always can cut him. You can go on to the next thing, right? Then maybe you look at Philadelphia and say, oh, you know what? Uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez is being used in a role and Alvarado looks like he stinks. All of a sudden you got another guy in there. I mean, Philly's maybe not the best example because they got about five guys that could probably do the job. But you get the drift of it, right? It's like it's looking at that situation and saying, okay, if something were to go haywire here or this guy's ineffective or hurt, then you have somebody that's there, not necessarily in the handcuff, but you have somebody that's there that could step into a role and all of a sudden you've got saves that you don't have to acquire with Fab or with other, with other free agent budgets that you use for whatever league you're in. Yeah, fair. I mean, somebody, mo- most teams in your league are going to have a reliever on their bench. Um, it's just typically how a roster is, is typically put together. Um, and so that means there's less of them to go around on the free agent market. So keep in, keep that in mind too. You got to be aware of you know what is actually going to be available on. Maybe you're not in a league like that. Maybe the majority of are using their their limited bench spots in other ways, and you have more assets to bid on in the free agency. And maybe you don't. So consider you know watch watch the trends of your draft to kind of get an insight into how your league mates are are putting together their rosters especially if you're drafting in march when you're closer to the season and there are less questions and there are less risky draft picks being made at the end of your draft because there are no questions to answer you know at by the last week of march there are very little um, if any questions that still need to be answered as far as mm-hmm. role and you know position eligibility and whatever, um, so that, a lot of things to consider for sure.
All right, guys, we need to talk about some players, uh, some actual guys that can go at that have been going toward the very end of drafts, especially in 12 teamers that could assist you in the saves category. Uh, we will get to all that. We'll play my favorite game right after this. All right, we're back. Let's talk about some players, guys. Let's talk about some players that we may be targeting late in our drafts. Like I usually say, in the top final two rounds or so. Um, this one, we're going to extend it a little bit more because we're going to play Ask. Um, for those keeping track at home who aren't aware of the game at this point, I'm playing it a lot. you a regular listener. You know what it is. But for those who are just chiming in for the first time, um, it's called Ask. Avoid, stream, keep. Very strict rules, as Kevin knows. Uh, you have a group of three. In this case, it'll be three relievers, uh, all going in similar ADP areas. Uh, I'm looking at NFBC's online championships. This is their you know, $350 or $700 uh, 12-team 12 12 league with an overall um, situation um, or component. And avoid, you have to pick one of these players to avoid, which means you can't draft them even in a 50-round draft and hold in a draft <laughs> Champions League. You can pick one to stream, or as I, in this case, stream slash stash. Um, and that means you wouldn't normally draft them, but you could pick them up early in the season with your fab, stash them a little bit, maybe streaming them in and out of your roster. Um, and the keep is somebody you would have to draft at a gladiator if you could actually get into a gladiator at this point. Um, <laughs> and for those who are not aware of gladiators, gladiators are teams that uh, rosters that only have a starting lineup. You draft set, literally set and forget it. And you have you'll get every single stat that these players put up because there is no bench. Um, and so you'd be stuck with them. So without further ado, then. Because Kevin, I know, is very well aware of the rules. Kevin, I'm going to start here with your Royals, as I labeled it. This is the we could all be Royals section. Um, And I think going into early drafts, it was pretty set in stone that James MacArthur was the guy everybody wanted. And he was was the type of guy that I know he did some stuff at the end of last year. I remember going to my first draft. I remember seeing him going. I'm like... I don't know who Jane MacArthur is. <laughs> and I'm like, what did he do to deserve this? And obviously, you know, you look into it and he's, you know, pretty talented. But in these online championships, he's only been drafting 13 out of the 15 drafts that have completed so far. Mm-hmm. So an ADP of 305. You've got newcomer Will Smith, newcomer to the Royals, obviously not to closing out games. Uh, you know, World Series champion Will Smith. Uh, at 334 ADP, he has been drafted in all 15 drafts. Then you also have Nick Anderson. Uh, he's also a newcomer to the Royals, but he has not been drafted yet in an online championship. These are your three, Kevin, especially as the Royals fan here. You know the bullpen. You know the team. So I'm going to take your word here as gospel. Uh, <laughs> who are you keeping? Who are you streaming? And who are you avoiding? So not only... Are you going to make me follow the rules? You're, you're you're giving me three choices from a team that roster resource has four closers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I almost put all four of them in somehow, but if you want to mention them, you could go ahead. No, well, so and a couple of others. So the Royals have completely revamped this bullpen. Uh, James MacArthur was uh, being drafted as the closer for this team, uh, albeit a. Uh, uh, a 
what was perceived to be a bad team and maybe still is by some uh, early in draft season. In fact, uh, Rob DiPietro um, asked me about it at First Pitch Arizona because he had noticed he'd been doing a lot of draft champions drafts. And James MacArthur, he's like, the last couple of drafts I've done, he's he's going in the early 200s. And mm-hmm. that, that was a little early for me as a Royals fan even uh i have drafted in places i have drafted will smith i have drafted nick anderson i've also drafted carlos hernandez and john mcmillan in uh draft and holds drafts so there is a lot going on here with this kansas city bullpen uh so i'm i'm going to be anxious to hear mike's take this is mine uh before any of these moves were made uh, I believe the Royals wanted this to be James MacArthur's job. I believe they are still going to give him the opportunity in spite of the fact that he does have arbitration years remaining. And we know with saves that are, are a factor in arbitration. So that is a factor. And, but I believe that he gets the first shot. Will Smith the only left-hander in this bullpen still, even after all of the signings they've made and even with some of the young players that have an opportunity to to make their way into this bullpen at the major league level throughout the season, Will Smith's the only lefty right now. He'll get some saves, but he's probably the highest leverage guy. So he will get used earlier in games, some games as well. So for that reason, for this purpose, for our game, in spite of the fact I have him rostered on multiple teams, Will Smith's going to be my avoid for right now, for this purpose, being the only lefty. Um, And I'm going to go with Nick Anderson as my streamer even though he no longer has arbitration uh, eligible seasons. Um, he, he's going to be my streamer, and I'm going to roll with James MacArthur. Um, I, I know his underlying numbers don't really support what he did late in the season, but that when it comes to closers, that doesn't always matter. Right. There's the, we, we have all these conversations. Is there a mentality to conclu- to closing? Is it different pitching the ninth inning compared to pitching other innings? And the reality of those questions are until until managers and, and front offices start caring more about it. It doesn't matter Mm -hmm. if that's real or not. Most organizations, for some reason, there's somebody that believes that that is important. And I think James MacArthur's going to get the first shot. And if he performs, he can probably hold it. So unfortunately, I'm avoiding Will Smith. And uh, James MacArthur will be my keep here. Uh, It's not uh, a real sound. I'm putting the house on this, but. I think he's going to get some run early in the year. And if he performs, he can hold on to it. Let's keep in mind. This is like the, some of the earlier picks uh, that we're going to be talking about. I don't think anybody you pick here in any of these groupings where you have to pick a keep is going to feel, you're going to feel good about it. Um, <laughs> and so uh, let's just, just keep that in mind as we continue. Mike, uh, do, you, do you see yourself uh, rearranging these guys in any way, or do you would you uh, agree with uh, the ask that Kevin put through? I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree slightly with my friend Kevin here, just because of this. 
Uh, I, I don't trust that Nick Anderson is healthy enough to even throw a bullpen to my 12 and 13 year old team. So uh, the last time we saw him, I don't remember, I don't remember who it's been. He's almost 34 years old. Um, I, I love it as a reclamation project for the Royals, but uh, my avoid here is Anderson. My stream is Smith as well. Um, you know, I, I could see the Royals signing somebody off the scrap heap, have that second lefty like Kevin was talking about. That's a really good point and something to consider here. I think MacArthur is the guy. Um, I think McMillan is another guy that could uh, uh, lay claim to some of this stuff, too. And Carlos Hernandez is always lurking. And I have to apologize to anyone that I told last year that Hernandez was a, a, a deep uh, candidate for saves. It didn't end up working out for me. I know it didn't work out for you. I apologize. Uh, please give me another chance. Um, but no, I, my, my avoid here is Anderson. My stream is Smith. My keep would be MacArthur. All right. Let's move on to from one. Some might say still a bad team. As Kevin mentioned, I'm just quoting Kevin here. I'm not saying that they're a bad team uh, on to this next grouping, which I called, you know, Closers on bad teams or presuming closers on bad, not presuming bad teams. These are definitely going to be bad teams. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're all going in a very tight grouping around ADP between 225 and 255. Uh, We're we're talking Mason Miller at 229, Carlos Estevez at 231, and Kyle Finnegan at 251. Mike, you're leading us off here on... The idea that I didn't really, really touch on too much in the in the in the in the middle of the show is the idea that a bad a a good closer on a bad team is still valuable. But the question I was going to pose is: Is it more valuable than chasing um, a committee on a good team? Which one is more valuable? Something to consider as you're considering these these uh this grouping, but you still I still ask you the question: where, where are you putting Mason Miller, Carlos Estevez, and Kyle Finnegan? This is a great question. This is a uh, pick your poison sort of thing here. Um, my avoid here, I think, is Finnegan, b- based on what I said earlier. In terms of they have Hunter Harvey, they have a healthy Tanner Rainey. Uh, I think that the Nationals will look to move Finnegan. I don't think that Finnegan will close at his next stop, although he could be an effective high leverage guy. So he would be my avoid. The next part of this is a little bit more difficult because, you know, Estevez is is supposedly promised the job right now. Now, they do have a, a guy named Robert Stevenson who is really moving up boards, which I can understand. He is lights out. He is another type of one of these guys that we're talking about along the brash um, you know, mode there, uh, AJ Minter, Abreu mode that could really step in and mow some people down. Uh, he's really nasty. But they have said in Los Angeles that Estevez is the closer. For that reason, I would use him as my stream. This is a little bit of a risky thing with Miller because we don't know what the role is. We know that he's going to be in the bullpen. We know that general manager David Force said he's going to be in the bullpen. Does that mean he's closing? Does that mean that he is a multiple inning weapon that they use um, to bridge the gap to maybe a, a Lucas Isserg or something like that? You know, we don't we don't know. They've got two, a couple of guys there that have a little bit of experience with Zach Jackson and Danny Jimenez too. So it's a the role 
lack of role clarity kind of throws you off here. But I think at the end of the day, what will end up happening is Miller will serve some type of a mixed role there. I think he'll probably get somewhere between 10 and 15 saves, maybe more depending. But here's a guy that you talk about a guy that's got upside. If he took that job and started running with it, I mean, he could be a second tier type of closer going into next year if he really is able to do that job and take it. Now, they're going to stink. So he might only get 25 saves max if if he gets all the save opportunities. So it's a little bit touchy there, but based on the skill sets of these guys, my my avoid is Finnegan, my stream is Estevez, and my keep would be Miller. I think I, I think I agree with that, and Kevin, I'm going to get your take too. And I think my reasoning here is is similar. Where it, it's odd to say, but like Mason Miller has the highest floor of these three guys as you mentioned like if carlos estevez or kyle finnegan lose they have the job at least we're aware that they have the job if they lose it it's going to be for not necessarily because stevenson or harvey are so good it's because they've failed miserably um and so that's their floor their floor is failing miserably and then not returning to form at all um they have you know just as high of a ceiling to an extent, if they keep the job all year round. Um, but I think that Mason Miller has a lower floor that even if he's not in that role, he's going to be in a role that provides value in general. Uh, Kevin, do you agree with uh, Mike's assessment with that that threesome, or would you mix it up? It's close. And this is one of these situations where I would probably answer differently if you asked me again tomorrow. Uh, but one interesting thing to me when we're looking at these three teams and that this probably isn't something I should be looking at, but, but I am when, when, when it's, when it's bad teams, I'm going to look and see how many save opportunities did they have as a team last season probably has no bearing on this year, but these are three not very good teams. I'm going to look. Oakland only had 55 save opportunities Mm -hmm. in 2023. Uh, They converted 29. They had 29 saves, and I am of the belief that Mason Miller will will get a majority of those opportunities. I like him in that spot. Um, I, I agree with Mike, um, I think Finnegan starts the season with the job. Last season, it was Hunter Harvey. He got injured. Finnegan it, it, Finnegan always gets the job back, but it's not due to his performance, right? It's due to performance or injury of others that he right. always ends up getting that job back, it seems like. Uh, but he, he, he performed okay over the years and and great in spots uh, throughout the years and washington actually had the 12th most save opportunities now we're getting into that realm of ooh, not very good teams don't win by more than three runs when they win mm-hmm. right well this probably shocks many listeners and, and maybe the two of you it shocked me the Los Angeles Angels had the eighth most save opportunities in 2023. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they they only converted they 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 only had 43 saves. They had 72 save opportunities. I, I the number one in all of baseball is 81. 
they were within 10 save opportunities of, of the team that had the most in baseball. That was Cleveland. Um, then we get to, to Baltimore at number two. That makes more sense with their 103 wins, right? Mm-hmm. But so it, I'm rambling here, but I think <laughs> just due to uh, the fact that I think it's his job and he'll keep the job, uh, barring injury. And even with the third least amount of opportunities in the league last year, they still had 55 of them. I'm going with Mason Miller in Oakland as my keep here. Uh, I, I just big questions around the other two. I cannot avoid Kyle Finnegan. Uh, like I said, he always ends up with the job. It's not always his own doing. He always ends up with the job. So I, I, I'll stream him when that job is his. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, that second half was pretty bad. Yes, uh, we're we're seeing uh, we're we're seeing other players signed with the Angels. They're still saying all the right things as far as Estevez is concerned. But with that second half and and them as a team uh, having such a low number of saves with such a high number of save opportunities last season, I think the team. In spite of what they're saying uh, at this point, they want another closer. They want another guy in the ninth. I would think. I would if I was them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. All right. We got another grouping here. Then we'll move on to uh, these are guys that I just called next up. Like these seem like the obvious guys that whether they're in a committee or if you think they're the setup guys who would move right into the role um, if they don't currently have it. And they are all very, very close. They're all within three ADP picks of each other uh, between 270 and 280, but really even tighter than that. Uh, Yenier Cano, who obviously took a big hit with the Craig Kimbrell uh, being uh, signed in free agency by the Baltimore Orioles. And I, I cannot not mention this tweet that Alex Fast put out. I think it was today. Um, Craig Kimbrell is the only player on the Baltimore Orioles currently that was acquired through free agency. And that wow. is wild. Everybody else has either wow. been traded for or drafted and come up through their system. Um, or, you know, maybe in a rule five draft or something, some other capacity. That is amazing. They're the, you know, by far the lowest team um, on that list. Uh, so it's just, just an amazing thing uh, to, to have read. Um, Something you didn't really expect to see. Um, then you have another free agent, uh, Yuki Matsui, signing with San Diego. And then Matt Brash, who we've already talked about endlessly throughout the episode, is in this group as well at 277. So Kano, Matsui, and Brash. Kevin, you can lead this one off here. Uh, they all presume to be either the setup guys or you would expect them to move into the closer role as Kano did last year. Um, with Felix Batista being injured, um, going as close to back to back to back as you can get three guys to go. Uh, the keep is easy here for me. It's Matt Brash. I, I can I could leave Matt Brash in my lineup for the entire fantasy baseball season and him get zero saves, and I'm perfectly okay with that. Um, so Matt Brash is the easy keep here for me. I, I think my streamer, I'm going to go with Cano just for the fact that we've seen Kimbrel be bad. Now, usually it's when he's not the ninth inning guy, 
but he's getting up there and we've seen spurts throughout his career where uh he would definitely be removed from the role so for that reason i will go with cano as my streamer matt Sui, he might have the job already in san diego we don't know but there's more than one other guy uh, it's a lot like the Royals situation. It could change throughout the season. He He's my avoid. I'm not avoiding these San Diego uh, relievers. I, I'm picking my spots, getting them late here and there, hoping I get lucky with the right one. Uh, but uh, for this group, he would be my avoid. But Brash is the easy keep. All right. Well, Mike, I want to get your take on this as well, but we are going to take another quick break. All right. Right back into it, Mike. Do you agree, disagree with Kevin's grouping here, or would you do things differently? Just a little differently. Brash is I have absolutely my keep. Um, my avoid is Cano, and I'll tell you why. Um, I think in Baltimore, Baltimore is poised for a, a deep run here. Kimbrell will be the guy. We know that. We know that Kimbrell can't really serve any other role in a bullpen other than being the ninth inning guy. He just can't. And so if he fails and he's not good, I think that they would make a move for a closer before that they would put Cano back in that role. Cano really faded down the stretch, if people recall. He had, first two months, he was lights out. Couldn't He couldn't hit him at all. He didn't give up hits. He didn't give up walks. Didn't give up runs. And then he was a little more pedestrian in the second half. And th- that could have been from overuse and whatnot. But here's the thing about Cano, too. He's not a big strikeout guy. He's 29. He's not like he's a 23-year-old guy that you're kind of, you know, hey, this guy's got another level. I think he kind of is what he is, and he's really good at that role, but I don't know that on my teams that I'll have a spot for him. I want a guy, if I'm talking about an octane guy, like we were talking about Brash, Brash, get you 100 strikeouts easily. Cano's probably not going to do that. He's probably going to have a, you know, not even a one, you know, strikeout per inning type of ratio at this point. So he would be my guy that I would avoid. Matsui, I think Kevin touched on it uh, earlier. You know, we don't really know what the closest situation in San Diego is. Context does matter. Suarez is the guy that's the highest paid, but they spent a lot of money to bring in Matsui, a little bit less to bring in Wusaku. Uh, my my buddy and your buddy, uh, Tim McLeod, who knows everything that there is to know about Asian players, is swearing up and down that Matsui will take that role. In fact, Tim took him as and drafted him in our um, expert draft tonight already. So the mock draft that we did. So I think Matsui would be the stream for me there. So uh, in in order, then uh, my avoid is Cano. My stream would be Matsui. My keep would be Brash. All right, fair enough. Uh, yeah, that San Diego. I, I'm pretty sure I have a piece of that across multiple leagues as well. So uh, as Kevin, as you mentioned, you know, pick your spots, take your chances. The beauty of doing Fab leagues early. Um, all right, let's uh, let's go on to the ne- uh, second to last grouping here, Mike. You're going to lead us off here in as we kind of talked about earlier, the idea of handcuffing your closers. Uh, you've got three possible handcuffs here going post three thirty ADP. None of them have been drafted in all fifteen of the online championships that have concluded so far. Uh, we've got David Robertson going at an ADP of three thirty seven, though he's only been drafted in seven out of fifteen drafts. Scott Barlow, we talked about earlier at three fifty two, only drafted four times, and then Kevin Ginkle in Arizona at three fifty three, right after Barlow, uh, also only drafted in four out of the fifteen drafts concluded. Um, You've got to avoid one of them. You've got to stream one of them. You do have to keep the other one. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether you like it or not, that's the rules. Them the rules, Mike. Who you got? Uh, I'm probably going to avoid Barlow. 
I'm going to probably stream Ginkle and I'm probably going to keep Robertson. And I just comment on the Robertson keep because that might, some people might be against that. And I'll, and I, I, I accept that. I totally understand that. But the Texas situation, uh, I don't think Jose Leclerc has his finger completely on the pulse of that one. And we know what Bruce Bochy is. He's a winner. He's got four World Series rings. Um, he didn't get there by, you, you know, doing things in a weird fashion when it comes to bullpens. He prefers to have a set closer. We know that. But they've got Leclerc there, but they've also brought in quietly Kirby Yates and David Robertson. Robertson is 39. Um, it, it, you know, the, the, his best days are behind him, but he can still get the last three outs of a game. And it would not surprise me at all in the least if they used Leclerc in a little bit different fashion with Spores and turn that ninth over to Robertson actually relatively early on. Leclerc has trouble with command. And we saw that even in the World Series. The guy who got the last save for Texas in the World Series was Josh Spores. So, I don't know that that he's committed to. We know he likes veteran closers. That's why they brought in Will Smith last year. They milked what was left out of Will Smith and then sent him out. Although Will Smith continues to win World Series rings, hint hint, Kevin. Uh, now he's a royal, um, you know, which would be fascinating. But I I think that's what I would do. I think I would avoid Barlow. I would stream Ginkle and I would keep Robertson. And I know that somewhat goes against conventional wisdom here. Now we, I mean, we talked about Robertson a little bit on last week's episode, um, or maybe it was the week before. Either way, we talked about him recently, Kevin. Um, and, and for in, in similar vein, um, just the idea that you know he didn't, he struggled in Miami after tra- being traded, you know, midseason, and you know maybe he runs into that role again in Texas. But uh, do you do you agree with that grouping that Mike put together? or Would you reorganize? Yeah, I would reorganize a little bit, and and it's uh, I, I think most people would agree with Mike. Uh, so w- when he said he 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 knows some people would disagree with that, I think most would agree with him, and I do agree that Jose Leclerc uh, of the guys that probably have the job on opening day for these three teams is the the least appealing as a starting closer if if that's the guys we're drafting right drafting the guys above these these mm-hmm. three uh leclerc is probably the the, the least appealing however i i'm, I'm the least I, i'm the least confident in david robertson yeah mm-hmm. he, he wasn't nearly as good as he had been earlier in the year after he made the move to miami 39 years old spores uh, could could leapfrog him in in this respect as well. So I'm actually avoiding David Robertson here. Um, Kevin Ginkle is going to be my keep, and that's for the simple reason you guys were talking about handcuffs a little bit as we are here. I only want a handcuff if I'm going to be confident putting them in my lineup with the closer, mm-hmm. right? Both of them be in my lineup at the same time. And I would be comfortable doing that with Kevin Ginkle in place of a sixth or seventh starter uh, on occasion if I had to do that. So I would be much more confident uh, with with him as my setup guy. Scott Barlow had a rough 2023. We know what he's done in the past. We assume that if Class A flounders, he's the next guy up now, but not if he's performing as he did for much of 2023. So uh, Ginkle is my keep, and uh, Barlow, by default, is going to be my streamer because mm-hmm. I'm avoiding Robertson. 
Mm, interesting. Good, good logic there. I like that. All right. All right. I like it when you guys do not agree on everything and, and you haven't agreed. You, you, I don't know if you're forcing it or, or if you're, no. you're it's all natural, but you haven't agreed on any of these. Not once. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> all right. It gives you more to think about. That's right. So as we typically end all of our shows during in season with my favorite category, this is our wild card category. These are three guys who uh, do not have the role. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination. They're not really in line for the role. They might have a lot of competition in front of them. They might have a set guy in front of them. Um, but you know what? You got to keep one, you got to stream one, and you got to avoid one of them. Anyway, Kevin, you're going to leave this one off here. In Philadelphia, we have Orion uh, Kirkring, who could not stop pitching um, in such a way where it wouldn't create gifts for us to ooh and awe at in September. Um and he has uh, been drafted as such at 10 out of 15 online championships. He is on a roster. Uh, Garrett Whitlock in Boston, The everybody talking about how he would make the um, a good replacement for Kenley Jansen if he were to be traded. It is looking maybe less likely now that that actually will happen. Um, but Garrett Whitlock is still set to be in a bullpen role for Boston, being drafted 4 out of 15 at 352. And then the aforementioned Prelander Baroa just traded to Mike's White Sox has not been drafted yet. Surprise, surprise. Um, but maybe has as much upside as any of these guys in this grouping. How who would you avoid? Who who are you streaming? And you gotta keep one of them. Man, we all love Prelander. I, and I and I loved Nick's tweets um when the when the trade was made, but, but we don't even know if he's going to start the season with the team so unfortunately uh baroa is going to be my avoid but i know we're going to talk about him throughout the season he's going to come up adam so so i'm okay with avoiding him for now but uh, i i think we'll get a lot more talk about him uh as the season uh begins and then goes along um kirkering man it, it was only three innings at the major league level. That That's my concern here. Yeah, you see that 42.9% strikeout rate. That's amazing. Three innings pitched. Uh, it was 18%, uh, I, I believe, at, at AAA in 20-some innings, if I'm remembering correctly. So, uh, or no, 18 per ninth. So it, it was still really high when he was at, uh, at, at AAA earlier in the season but man that's you did leave a tough one for last year adam uh but i am going to avoid baroa i don't know if whitlock is he even gets the second or third shot in boston but he might um you know what i'm not going to avoid baroa uh we're, we're gonna go with upside here i i can't make him my keep but i will make him my streamer that means as amazing as he looked, I I think it's it's more hype than what we've actually seen so far. So I'm going to avoid Kirkering, and I'm going to keep Whitlock. Kind of going back to the fact that he may not be second or third guy up, but I'm not going to be too upset if I have to use Garrett Whitlock in my lineup uh, throughout the season. Maybe I get a save. Maybe I get a win. Uh, probably get some ratios and, and a strikeout or two. So this one's really tough for me, and 
I'm not even certain what I ended on being my order. And I know <laughs> it would be different if you asked me again tomorrow. I love uh, that. But that, that, that's where I'm at for now. I, w- I would uh, say similar to what I was talking about with Miller, Whitlock probably has the lowest floor um, in, in essence where he, he's almost guaranteed to have the most innings of these three guys. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's all, all the projections that you can find anywhere, have them anywhere between, you know, you know, high seventies, low eighties in innings uh, being projected because you don't know what kind of a role he's going to have. You know, he might do spot starts. Um, well, not might, he probably will have spot starts throughout the course of the season. Uh, he might back his way into a couple saves just because we know Jansen has had his issues, not only on the mound, but also, you know, with health issues. Um, and so he, you know, how many times he's going to go in back-to-back days, I guess it should still be in question mm-hmm. um, throughout the course of the season. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm, I was surprised when you didn't first go with Whitlock as, as your keep and then you, but you kind of made up for it by spinning it around at the end. Yeah. You made it there (laughs) in the end. Uh, Mike. uh, So if I, if I remember correctly, Kevin had listed out Whitlock as his keep his uh, Roa as his stream and then avoiding Kirkering for all the reasons mentioned, would you do it any differently, Mike, or we finally have one that we agree. No, I think I agree with Kevin on this one because, um, you know, Whitlock, I think, is an interesting guy just because of the fact that if he's healthy and if they end up trading Kenley Jansen, which sounds like could very well happen, I'm not convinced that they want Chris Martin to close either. He's 38 years old. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't think the Red Sox are going to be very good either. So it, it, they could have some turmoil in the bullpen in terms of who's doing what and, and who's starting. And Whitlock will have definitely a role in there. He's definitely going to have the most innings of this group. And I think that there's a, an outside chance that he could be the closer in Boston eventually. Um, and we've been kind of waiting on that for a couple of years now. And when they signed Kenley, that kind of went to, to bed. But uh, I, I think that's who I would I would keep. Um, you know, Baroa. right now it's hard to see what the role is, but you know, the the White Sox best option at closer right now seems to be John Brebbia. And and he's not really ever had that role. He's always been a pretty good bridge guy. Uh, I don't know that he's going to serve as the closer. I I still think it will be Kopech. I I know that's a little bit risky and and maybe a little bit out there, but um, Baroa is definitely a guy that I would, that I would stream. And Kirk is, it's not because of stuff that I would avoid him. It's just because of, you know they've got four guys there that could close easily in 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 Philadelphia, and Rob Thompson has shown a propensity to use any of those guys at any time. It's really frustrating to roster a Philadelphia uh, relief pitcher because you just don't ever know who the guy's going to be. Last year was a little bit different because they had Kimbrell, and Kimbrell can't really pitch anything other than the ninth inning. But now they've got four guys, maybe five guys that could lay claim to that. You're going to see, you might see five guys with. Eight ten saves each on that team. It's hard to say. So for and, that, and a lot of avoid them. And a lot of those guys are all locked up as well. We talked about this a lot last year, Kevin. Right? Like Sir Anthony Dominguez got his contract. Okay, cool. We don't worry about arbitration. Oh, Alvarado has this contract now. You don't have right. to worry about arbitration. Right. And so it's like when they're all in the same boat. It's not even so much about the amount of money. It's just the fact that they have a set contract. You're not worried about that going up. Because they're going having saves. Whitlock's in the same situation. We, get, we keep in mind they locked up Whitlock already uh, for the next couple of years. He, they already bought out his arbitration years. They have a couple of club options um, after the you know going into 2027 and 2028, and they're not 
exactly expensive contracts yeah. either. We're talking anywhere between seven and ten million dollars per year. Uh, and so th- we talk about this all the time. Um, but arbitration should just should definitely be in consideration when you're wondering who's going to move into the role and they've got an extra hurdle to jump into. Um, all right, Mike, keep keep going with the the rest of your analysis on this grouping. No, I think that I think we, we we've covered it. I mean, I think that that's it for me too. And there's um, my keep would be Whitlock, my stream would be Baroa, and my avoid would be Kirkgreen. Yeah, fair enough. Um, all right, lots to consider when uh, as as we talk about with every one of these episodes. Uh, there's a lot you can do with the last two picks or maybe in three picks of your draft. Um, you really got to keep in mind of how you drafted in the first, you know, two thirds of your, of your, of your draft and how you want to, what kind of risks you want to take. If saves was something that you need backup on, you've got a lot of players, you've got a lot of thoughts to go into it now. Um, so thank you guys so much for going over that. Kevin closest out here with any added words of wisdom that we can consider going into any drafts that you might have. Yeah, we're going to kind of stay on topic with this this week. And this is, this is as much feel, gut, whatever you want to call it as, as it is analysis. I think when it, when it comes to our closers and our stashes and what are we doing with some of these guys? I'm a, I'm a big advocate of it. If there's a guy on my roster, he has to be usable right now. So that's why I lean towards my, my, my closer stashes being guys that I'm willing to throw out there right now, even if I don't expect to get any saves from him. And, and another guy that didn't come up in, uh, in, in the groupings, but, but due to recent news, this is a big deal. Uh, Ryan Presley is going outside the top 400 in a handful of recent drafts his his average is getting to the point where his average his adp is going to be outside the top 300 and he's being drafted outside the top 400 a guy that i wouldn't mind having in in my lineup on a weekly basis uh and I'm not so sure he doesn't get the most saves on this team right now. We we still don't know. Everybody's presuming it's going to be Josh Hader. I don't necessarily know that. Uh, it's a pretty good bet, I would say. But, you know, Hader, Hader made his career by being a, a, a two-inning you know, guy uh, put the fire out earlier in the game when he was first starting out in his career. I'm not so sure we don't see a lot of saves out of Presley. So I, I think it's just it, when it when it gets to this point and, and talking about these types of players, you brought this up at the very beginning of the show, Adam. Remember, you're drafting these teams, you're setting your lineups, and, and sometimes all of the information and all the knowledge in the world isn't going to explain what actually happens and if you have a gut feeling on a a player especially when we're talking these ninth inning situations and especially if you have any knowledge at all of what the the manager is actually thinking and and what he likes to do uh roll with it Uh, that it's there's it's as good of analysis as any is it roll with what your gut is telling you 
Yeah, roll with your gut and also read Mike's analysis over at Fantrax as well as you continue to put out your uh, your reliever rankings articles. Um, obviously, you can also lean on Rich Graham over at Pitcher List as well and all of the bullpen articles he puts out on a daily basis. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Uh, uh, you know, Remind everybody anything that you've got working on specifically, um, and then we'll close it out. Well, just before I do that, thank you guys for having me on. You know, I've been a longtime fan. I've played in the OTW listener leagues for several years and uh, have always followed you guys and am really more than happy to not only work with you guys on different things, but also to be friends with you guys and uh, league mates with you, Adam. Um, It's really great. And uh, I always look forward to seeing you guys when we have the opportunity to sit and break bread or have a beer and hang out. Um, It's always a good time. So, yeah, you can find me on Twitter or X, whatever you call it, at MDRC0508. Terrible Twitter handle. I've been through that story many times. Don't need to rehash it here. Um, I'm working at Fantrax on bullpens. I'll continue to cover bullpens this year. got a 50-reliever uh, kit coming out here in the next couple of days. I'm also latched on to Rotoballer as well, which has been a great experience so far, uh, working on a variety of different things there. I've got a article coming out here on the – 26 to 29 year old guys who could bust out uh, and also another article that'll come out there in a few days on targeting uh, values in the first three rounds and how you want to attack offense. So uh, getting to stretch a little bit different muscle there at Rotoballer, which is kind of fun. And obviously I do the fantasy baseball beat with my buddy Torres where we talk to beat reporters and uh, fantasy experts and get their take on the things that are going on. So uh, it's, it's been a busy off season, busier than usual. And I look forward to the season starting and look forward to catching up with you guys. And again, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be on with you guys tonight. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Mike. And that is going to wrap it up for episode 150 of wow. On The Wire. Still can't believe it. Uh, you could follow myself on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hasting. Kevin, of course, follow the pod itself at On The Wire Pod. To once again thank our guest Mike Carter for joining us. Follow him at MDRC0508 on the Twitter, or better yet, make sure you're listening to him at, at Fantasy Baseball Beat. Uh, and after all that, I am Adam Howe, and on behalf of Kevin Haston, thanks for listening, and we bid you goodbye. 